0: for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. We are a local church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We are a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's In sermon. Your hands, you
1: hold the universe. Of Scripture. And I want to uh, take a few moments tonight to challenge you as we enter into these three days of prayer and fasting. Would you open your Bible with me to the book of Matthew? and chapter 6. As we go, once again, to to take a look at one of the more important teachings of Jesus in the Gospel accounts, Matthew chapter 6. One of the things that you'll notice if you are a serious student of the Word of God and if um, if you begin to notice the activity of the Lord Jesus Christ as he came down to this earth 2,000 years ago. It's always interesting for me to think about this, that here's the Son of God, the one who had existed from eternity past in God's presence. If there was ever a person who did not need to pray, it was Jesus. He had known his father from eternity past. He had a connection to God like you and I cannot imagine. And to this day, the Bible tells us that he sits at the right hand of the father, that there is no separation. Jesus said, if you have seen me, then you have seen my father, right? If there was ever someone who did not need to talk to God, it was Jesus. Because he and the Father were one, and they are even now. And yet, even with that amazing fact, what you will notice as you study the New Testament, as you study the gospel accounts, is you will find a Savior who made time and effort to pray. Isn't that amazing tonight? That Jesus, the Son of God, thought it worthy, thought it important, made it a priority of his life to maintain a regular prayer ministry between him and God. It was oftentimes that Jesus would escape away from the crowds, from those who were seeking his attention and seeking healings and pursuing his teachings. And many times he would take his disciples or even just a small group of them and go away into a hidden place or go up to a mountain place. Or even before the cross, they went away into the Garden of Gethsemane. And what was Jesus running away from? Two, many times we are running away from things, right, in our lives. We get battles, we get weary, we get... Uh, and what, what we end up doing is we run away from those things and we think that we're going to find peace sitting in front of a boob tube for a while or something. But in reality, what we should be doing, instead of running from things, we ought to be running to something, Like what Jesus shows us so many times in the gospel accounts is that he would run to his father in prayer. And I believe if we are going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to call ourselves disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ought to take this one thing very, very seriously, the issue of our prayer lives. We just recently, Dave and I, if you're not aware, we we do this uh, podcast uh, uh, from time to time. And and we recently released an episode about uh, the addiction to smartphones. If you were here a few weeks ago, I preached a message about the addiction to smartphones. You know, the average smartphone user is using their phone between three to five hours every day. I'd say that's a pretty low estimate. If you. If you look at people who are under the age of uh, 30, that number goes up significantly. Between five to seven hours every day. That's a lot of time with eyeballs on screen, isn't it? I wonder tonight if we could take a portion of that time that we are Instagramming, Facebooking. If we could take a portion, even just a portion of that time that you are planting fake crops in a fake field or popping bubbles with many different colors or a thousand other things that you do on that little screen. And if you could set aside even just one of those hours in prayer, how it would change your life how it would change your relationship with God, how it would change your circumstances, and what if you took not just one but maybe two of those hours or maybe three of those hours and set them aside and said, God, I want to know more. Not, I don't want to know more about my iOS or my Android. I want to know more about you. Because how many know in eternity, these are going to be gone. We're not going to need them. But you know what we are going to need? More and more of our Lord and Savior every single day. So what we're going to find in our scripture tonight is we find the model prayer. We find uh, an outline, a prayer outline that we can use in a practical way in our prayer lives. And one of the problems I hear from people when it comes to the arena of prayers. Many people have a desire to prayer. Have a desire to know more about God, but the problem is when we sit down to pray or when we set our minds to pray, we have the problem of, I don't know what to say. Have you ever been there? And so that's why I believe Jesus gave us this wonderful uh, model prayer that we can begin as a starting place. Let's read together Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 6, and we're going to notice a few things about the powerful action of prayer tonight. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 6. But you, when you pray, and let me just stop right there to remind you that Jesus did not say, if you pray. He said, when you pray. In other words, that this is an expectation that Jesus has on our lives. When you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. Do not use vain repetitions. Do not use vain repetitions. How do you like it? If I use vain repetitions. Do not use vain repetitions. How do you think God likes it? When we say the same thing mindlessly. Mindlessly over and over do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they will be heard for their many words therefore do not be like them for your father knows the things you have need of even before you ask verse 9 in this manner therefore pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray this evening. As we consider these things, Father, we're so grateful that you've given us the avenue of prayer. Lord, that you have allowed a simple human beings like us, God, to enter into your presence. I'm praying, Lord, tonight once again that you would challenge us during these next three days of fasting and prayer, God, that we would seek your face, God, and that we, you would hear us from heaven, and that our lives would be changed in the process. We thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. God's people would say amen. Let's look at a few practical ways of prayer. First of all, Jesus began to warn us about some things that we should not do in prayer. So the, what we notice first is that Jesus says we should not be like the hypocrites. Jesus was comparing the, the, uh, the practice of his followers to the practice of the religious people in the day. They were called the Pharisees, and he called them the hypocrites. And he said in verse 5, when you pray, do not be like them, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. What we're talking about tonight, first of all, is the public prayer. The prayer that the Pharisees would love to pray, that was out in public, that, that they would use profound words. They would no doubt quote from scripture that they would piece together words that would have great profundity and they would have amazing uh, uh, adulation from the people who there were listening to them. But I want to tell you this, a public prayer has only a fraction of the power of a private prayer. Jesus said that assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. In other words, tonight, what what the Pharisees were seeking when they prayed, they were seeking the attention of other people. And when other people would say, wow, what amazing prayer that guy prayed, Jesus said that's the only reward that they'll get. Because that prayer was not prayed to God. It was only prayed to the people who were listening. I want to tell you something tonight. I don't want to pray to you. You know why? Because you can't do much for me. You can encourage me. You can, uh, you can smile at me and make me feel a little better. But can I tell you, nobody in this room can solve my problems. I need God to hear my prayer because I have God-sized problems. And so these prayers that we pray, sometimes all we're doing is saying, what, what do you, I wonder what they think of what I said in prayer. And if that's the only purpose for our prayer tonight, then we've received our reward already. We've received the answer to our prayer. It is a fleeting answer. It's only the admiration of men. Tonight, Jesus had something far better for us in mind. When he began to teach us how to pray, Jesus began to teach us how to pray in private. Look again at verse 6. When you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. <laughs> I saw a little meme on the internet of a guy. A little stick figure sitting on the toilet. And he, <laughs> he, he had a, a can of air freshener in his hands. And he said, what we used to do before smartphones. <laughs> rain, rain. <laughs> Tonight, <laughs> isn't it true that when you're alone, when you're in your room, when you're by yourself, what are you doing? Am I wrong? I know I'm not because that's what I do. (laughs) This thing has killed so many people's prayer life, including my own. Can I be honest with you? Jesus said if we want to know the Father who is in heaven, that we should escape from the pressures of the world. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, he was able to remove himself from the crowds, from the pressure of ministry, and to go up to the mountain to bring a few of his disciples with him. And many times he did that to pray. Listen to the record of, uh, of prayers in solitude. Matthew 14, 23. After he sent them all home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Luke 5.16, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Luke 6.12, it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Did you hear that? Continued all night in prayer to God. Genesis 32, verse 24, this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break a picture of prayer. 2 Kings 4.33, he went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Acts 10, verse 9, the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. I wonder, when's the last time you found yourself alone in prayer? Now, we believe in corporate prayer as the body as of Christ. We believe that in our, our church services that we can come together before the service, and we do that. We come together one hour before the services start, and we do that together to pray for the needs of the body, and that is a wonderful thing. Corporate prayer has its place. But can I tell you tonight that corporate prayer ought to be 10% of the rest of your prayer life? Did you hear that? If corporate prayer is 100% of your prayer life, there is something desperately wrong with you as a Christian. If corporate prayer, if that one hour, and let's be honest, you're not in there for an hour, you're in there for 45 minutes at the most, or you're in there for 20 minutes in between getting coffees, if that is the extent of your prayer life, you are desperate, desperately in poverty before the Lord. Jesus said, the, the prayer that has power is the one when you're in your room and you're alone and nobody else hears you except your Father in heaven. I have found that if, if I'm going to make any difference in my prayer life, I've got to put this thing away. I've got to turn it off. I've got to leave it in the car or on the charger. It means that we've got to clear our minds from less important things. In the morning times, that we, ought to take, um, that we ought to take time to put the worries and the cares of the day and let them have their place, but take some time to seek God first. I believe in the principle of the tithe. Do you know what that is tonight? That the first belongs to God, the first fruits, right? And that is a biblical principle, Going back to the, the Mosaic laws that, uh, that if you're a farmer and you have a crop, you have a harvest, and the harvest time comes, and that first harvest that springs up from the ground, the Bible instructed uh, the people of God to take of those first fruits. You know, it takes a long time for fruits to grow, for a harvest to come out of the ground. It takes a while, right? Right? It probably would take months. And what they would do in those days is they would take that first crop, the one that they had been waiting for so long, and they would take it all home and bake some cookies. No. They would take the first one, and they'd take it down to the temple and offer it there as a sacrifice. That's what the tithe was. That's why the principle of tithe is not just 10%. It's the first 10%. Before you spend money on other stuff, we ought to be making the tithe a priority first. Now, if that's true for your money, it ought to be true also for other things that we spend. What else do you spend in time? We spend money, but there's another thing that you spend. You spend time. Don't you? Every day you have 24 hours to spend And once it's spent, it's gone. It doesn't come back, just like money, right? I believe that the principle of the tithe also applies when it comes to our time. That there ought to be some time that we tithe to the Lord before we do anything else with our day. When was the last time you did that? The second warning that Jesus gave to us in this in this instruction on prayer, it was not, not just about in the secret place, but also that our prayers need to be sensible. Look at verse 7. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. I love the New Living Translation version of this scripture. It says, When you pray, don't babble on and on, as people of other religions do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words over and over. Amplified Version says it like this. When you pray, do not heap up phrases. Do not multiply words. Do not repeat the same thing over and over again. Uh-oh, somebody's getting in trouble right now. <laughs> do you know why we do that? Because when we are repeating words, when we're repeating phrases, when, what we're actually doing is we're turning off our brain. And we're just allowing the mouth to puke out whatever comes through it. That's not prayer. If you're not praying from your heart, you're simply just taking up time. And that's what people, what Jesus said, that's what the heathens do. Many people in the Roman Catholic Church have taken this model prayer and used it as a vain repetition, right? Many people just say, okay, go say that prayer ten times and then the Lord will forgive you of your sin. Or they say, our our, our Mary full of grace, you know. Yeah, they, what is that? They think it's just some magical phrase of words strung together that's going to do something spiritual? We can point our fingers at a Roman Catholic church, but it happened right there in that room. An hour ago as people in this place, allow vain repetitions to infect our prayers. Our prayers are not supposed to be mindless. What would, what would you think if I came up to you and just started babbling in your face, the way that you babble in front of God? Is that conversation? Is that intelligible? Is that, con- is that meaningful in any way? Is that how you would speak to your wife or your husband? Is that how you would speak to your children? That might be how your children speak to you. If they're real young, speaking first and not engaging the brain, I want to tell you nothing comes from a prayer like that. Nothing good anyway. They're not supposed to be mindless. Our prayers ought to be sensible, ought to be passionate, Ought to be from our hearts. I'm amazed at Christians who act like pagans in the prayer room. So I want to uh, wrap this message up tonight. I want to give you a a helpful outline when it comes to prayer. And this is what we find in this model prayer that Jesus gave to us. It is a fantastic outline for how we can pray. And I want you to look again. When you pray... uh, Uh, verse 9, Jesus says, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Do you know what that means tonight? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed comes from the same root word as our English word holy. Hallow, holy, same same layout of the, the consonant letters. And Um, What it really means is that the first part of our prayers ought always to be praise. So this uh, this layout of of prayer that I'm going to help you with is the acronym PRAY, P-R-A-Y. Okay, you got that? That's easy. So one of our priorities in prayer is first to praise, and that's what Jesus shows us in the very first line. He says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, tonight our first uh, priority in prayer is simply to say, God, you are awesome. You are awesome. You are more awesome than anything I have. Anything I could ever be. Hallowed is your name. Your name is high and above the earth. Listen, if you would truly praise in your time of prayer, then you would begin to, uh, to be ascended above the average everyday words that you would use. See, what happens when we pray, something amazing happens when we give praise to God, when we hallow his name, when we remind God of who he is. Can I tell you that praise is not for God? God already knows how awesome he is. He already knows how holy he is. He already knows how powerful he is. But why is it that the Bible commands us to praise him? Why is it that the Bible, when when we read in the book of Psalms, how often it says, uh, how often it, it shows us that in our prayer times and in our connection with God that we should remind him, why does God tell us to do that? Because of the effect it has right here. When I am praising God, when I am hallowing his name, when I'm saying, God, you are so amazing. It changes me, doesn't it? It brings me closer to him. It reminds me of his power. It puts me in a frame of mind that says, God, you are above anything that I could be struggling with today. So the P in the word pray stands for praise. Are you ready for the next one? It is the letter R, and that letter R stands for repent. Repentance. Jesus included repentance in this model prayer, didn't he? He said, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I believe Jesus would intend this model outline prayer to be something that we pray every single day and outline a structure of prayer that we can be, and included in that daily structure is that phrase, forgive us our trespasses. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus assumed that we would daily be trespassing. Jesus assumed that we would very often be doing things and be saying things that would, that would necessitate forgiveness repentance so when we start by saying god you are so awesome the next thing that we should focus on is god i am not awesome and i need your help i am messed up and i haven't grown angel wings yet you know some of the some of the nastiest people i've ever known were backslidden christians people who never repent but still go to church on sunday some of the people that cause the most damage to the kingdom of God. Did you know that the devil, he, he goes to church too? The difference between the devil and you, hopefully, is that you know how to repent. The devil doesn't, he will never repent. He's too prideful. And when we fall into that same pattern of God, I'm okay the way I am. Mm mm. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. And yes, even though God has changed our nature, he's begun the process of sanctification in our lives. And yes, he is preparing us for eternity, but we are still in this life. We are still connected to the flesh. And the flesh has its own desires. Am I still preaching tonight? Maybe I'm the only one who still struggles with the flesh. Tonight, as we praise God, we also must repent, turn our hearts back toward God. And finally, uh, thirdly, rather, we come to the part of the prayer where we can begin to ask. P R A. A stands for ask where we can bring our petitions to the Lord. It's interesting to me. Here's verse uh, verse 9 where Jesus begins the prayer. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we see also that prayer is a time that we can bring our requests to the Lord. We can ask for things. Jesus also taught us that that, uh, God is a good father. And he said, you know what good fathers look like. If you are a good father to your children, your child can do like what my girls did to me today. You know what they did to me? We had lunch at the mall. We got in the car. We were going to drive home. (laughs) And you know what these precious little girls did to me? They got me to do something that I wasn't going to do. Do you know how they did that? Daddy, can we have some chocolate chips from McDonald's? Some cookies? I said, nah, we don't really have time for that. But there's McDonald's right there. (laughs) And I said, "Yeah, but you know, we have already had we've already had lunch. But it's only a dollar for three cookies." <laughs> and you know what I did? I pulled into McDonald's. And I got two orders of three cookies, six total, and I got an ice cream sundae. I was not planning to do that. How did that happen? Because I'm a good father, and I love my children, and I like to please them. I like to make them happy. I like the little smiles on their embarrassed faces tonight. (laughs) (laughs) And Jesus said, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the Father who is in heaven, who wants to hear your requests, You can come to the Father and you can say, Daddy, I want some chocolate chip cookies too. (laughs) And we can do that about much more important things in our lives, can't we? Say, Lord, there's an area of my life that I'm struggling desperately. Would you help me? Lord, I don't have enough money to pay this bill. I need $34.56. You know you can bring requests like that to the Lord. Lord, I have a a relationship that's broken, and I need you to help me restore it. And he's a good father. Did you know that? He's a better father than I could ever be. And we can ask him. We can bring our requests. Because we are his children, and it pleases the father to give us what we need. Notice I did not say what we want. There is a difference between what you want and what you need. And God is very good at knowing the difference. Sometimes we pray for the things that we want. God doesn't always answer those prayers. In fact, pretty rarely. But he will answer the prayers about the things that you need. He will. Because he is a good father. So often what happens is we don't see God as father, we see him as master, we see him as, as, uh, as our owner, but we've got to remember, he's more than that. Jesus came to restore the relationship of father to us. And finally, we see the last letter in that uh, acronym, P-R-A-Y, and it is this word. Are you ready? It's the word Yield. So we praise, we repent, we ask, we bring our petitions, and then we yield ourselves. Listen to what he says in verse 10. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I just want you to think about that for one moment before we close. I want you to think about the will of God. Did you know that the only place... In all the universe, where God's will is not perfectly completed, is right here in the human heart. Every other molecule of the universe obeys the word of the Lord completely. The animals, the animal kingdom, the planets, the stars, the suns, the moons, the comets, the lakes, the rivers, the oceans, the mountains, they all obey the word of God, but you, you are the rogue, you are the pirate, you are the rebel, all of humanity, we are the only things, of course, the devil and all of his followers, who have rebelled against God. It is sown into our nature. The sin which began to bring a curse upon the entire Of God's creation. But here in the prayer, the model prayer, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Imagine with me if you're in heaven and you're observing the throne of God, how glorious and how mighty it is. The father is there, the son at his side. The angels in all their glory are there worshiping all of the saints who've gone before us, the cloud of witnesses that it speaks about in Hebrews, all focused, centered on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the crowd quiets down for a moment. Oh, he's going to say something. And Jesus opens his mouth, and he says, I want a hamburger. What do you think happens? Somebody's going to get that man a hamburger. The will of God is completed perfectly in heaven. When the will of God is made known, there is nothing that stops the will of God from taking place. Am I right? In heaven, that's how it is. In the presence of God, if the Lord says jump, you say how high? If the Lord says go, you say how far? There is no questioning. There are, there are no angels that say, well, Lord, uh, maybe it would be better if you did it like this. Lord, you know, I, I think uh, maybe you should reconsider your, your will. Is there any of that that happens in heaven? The will of God is completed to perfection in heaven. Now, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is this. Lord, let your will be done on earth the same way that it's done on earth. In heaven. Do you know the only way that that can happen? Is when you get out of the way. Is when you stop saying, God, you know, I think it would be better if your will was like this or that. Or we start trying to, to figure out and manipulate the plans and the purposes of God. And what that really is, is God, I'm resisting your will. We think we're smarter than God. How silly we are. How foolish. And that's why in the last part of our prayer, somewhere our prayer should include a yielding to God. God, you know what yielding means, right? If you've ever gotten on the freeway, you know what it means to yield. You're getting on the on-ramp and there's traffic going zoom, zoom, zoom. Now, if you try to come right into that lane, bad things are going to happen. And that's why there's a big yield sign in the shape of a triangle. It says, you better yield. You better let the other guy go first. Get out of his way. And then, when there's an open spot, then you can go. I want to tell you, that's the whole Christian life wrapped up in a little nutshell. We yield to God's will. We yield to his purpose. We yield ourselves. We submit ourselves. Listen. Listen. We are praying and we are fasting in preparation for this revival that is happening next week, next Sunday, in fact. And if we are going to see the things that we want to see, it will be because somebody here will do these things. You praise, you'll repent, you will ask for God's help, and then you will yield to his will. God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As Jesus closes his model's prayer, once again, he says, deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. He closes with another word of praise. So we could say that this is prape, because the same place that he started was the same place that he ended, and that was to remind God of who he is. God, your kingdom is before all things. Listen, if we want to see the same things that we've been seeing, then we can just keep doing the same things we've been doing. But if we want to see different things, then we need to do different things. Sometimes we get stuck in a rut. Sometimes we get stuck in a routine. Part of that routine is prayerlessness, the sin of prayerlessness. Did I mention that prayerlessness is a sin? I should have mentioned that, but I'm mentioning it now. For a Christian not to pray, that is a sin. It's a sin of omission. Whoa, something just got heavy in here. I'm sorry, I didn't mean mean to drop the bomb on you. It's a sin that must be repented of. But I want to tell you, God will forgive you for that sin and then we can, true repentance means that we change our minds about things. God, I need to start, I need to start praying more. I need to put down the Candy Crush and the, and the Hero Quest and the Laser Balls and the whatever games are on there now. I don't know what they, we need to put those things down for a minute so that we can cry out to God. Can you cry out to God? Can you join us in these three days of prayer and fasting? Look, I, I think that there are still some needs that need to be answered, right? <laughs> have you run out of needs before the Lord? If you have, I'd like to talk to you after the service because I need some advice. I want to tell you, the longer I live for Jesus, the more I need him in every moment of my life. And if we are serious about serving God, we ought to be serious about prayer. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, felt it necessary to pray, then how much more should you and I? Let's bow our heads for a moment. And we're going to close our eyes as we bring this service to an end tonight, and we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your attention tonight. There's a lot of churches in Virginia Beach and you chose to be here. And I'm grateful for that. I believe the Lord is doing something good in our midst. Well, many times the Lord is doing things despite us instead of because of us. <laughs> many times the Lord is doing good things even while we are not doing a lot to support him. Tonight, challenge is clear to be people of prayer. I don't know about you, but I know that in my life, I could be doing with my, better with my prayer life. I could be speaking to God more often. I could be laying some other things aside in order to pray. I wonder tonight if you'd be honest enough to, with me, understand that maybe you have slipped into the sin of prayerlessness.
0: and love people.